um, very detailed. And you know, while I can speak to what I know, I don't, I don't speak for the US government or, you know, any policy or anything like that. I just speak, you know, from what my experience exactly. has been over the years. Um, and what I'm watching and what I'm seeing on the TV now. Um, it's been extraordinary. Uh, this week has just been an emotional roller coaster, as you can imagine. So things have uh, just taken everybody by surprise, really. So, but I can I can try to answer some of the things, um, you know. The, but the Taliban um, freeing prisoners and things like that; those are just some policy matters, and I don't really I'm not read into the intel on all of that, whether or not I can confirm or deny, you know, the factuality of uh, the how many or anything like that. I'm, I'm really just checking open source reporting for those things. All right. Yeah. So basically, we wanted just what is your experience during uh, your comeback tour in Afghanistan? Because what we see is mostly uh, the, what the media is showing us throughout the news channels, even the past week, whatever we are seeing is completely through the eyes of the journalists or the media channels, whatever news they have. But we don't know exactly what is going on on the ground. Since you have a bit of experience, you could shed light on that. So that is all I wanted to know. Okay. We could sure. uh, avoid uh, the tricky questions uh, a little bit and speak about the people and the situation. That, that we could do. Sure. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. so, so we, yeah. yeah if you want to get started or uh, prompt me with the questions that you want to get started with sure man is there uh, is there an official opening statement or, or, or a welcome something or do we just start talking and you'll edit it later i'll just open it uh, so then you know it'll be like an introduction so um, okay yeah, yeah. Well, I will, I'll add that I'll put in the same disclaimer as Amy. Um, I'm sorry, is it yeah. okay to call you Amy or? Yeah, yeah. Sergeant yeah, Forsyth sure. or what would you prefer? Sure, uh, Amy is fine. Yeah, Amy is fine. Okay, um, so I, I will add a, a similar disclaimer to what Amy had said about this is not a, I don't hold an official political position. I'm not with a, a representing any uh, government or any agency or any uh, business. Uh, it's just, uh, myself and sort of what's been going on and hearing from different sources, uh, media sources as to what is happening and what's going on. So I'll, I'll throw that in as well. And uh, well, did you want to, do you want to do maybe a recap, Amy, sort of a where we are now and then go backwards into how things happened or? Well, yeah, did you want to have an opening question to us or? Did you want to retape tape that afterwards, or do you want to start with a, a question and direct it to to uh, us? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you, ma'am, once again for being on the show on Drew News uh, podcast, and thank you, Matt, for co-hosting it with me. So, without wasting much time, we would uh, like to start with the first question, uh, ma'am. We would want to know what did you experience during your five. Uh, year of comeback tour in Afghanistan and how was the experience uh, with the people on the ground? 
So, well, thank you for having me on the show and letting me share my experience um, from, from my perspective as uh, through the years, my first tour in Afghanistan was in 2003. So this was shortly after, I would say shortly after 9-11 and we just barely had a foothold in Afghanistan. And I went back to Afghanistan in 2013 and then again in 2018. So I did three tours in Afghanistan and in between those, I did two tours to Iraq. So I was kind of flowing in and out and back and forth. So, um, but you, Afghanistan is uniquely different from Iraq and we were uh, operating in two locations simultaneously. So it was pretty, pretty difficult where US troops were stretched very thin during those years, especially during the 2005 to 2010 era, the height of the Iraq war. Um, so taking a lot of casualties there. Meanwhile, Afghanistan has had its surges and it's uh, the, some difficult times through the years, but my experience was overall very positive. Um, each one was uniquely different. In 2003, I was um, based in Kabul where we were moving about the city pretty freely. I remember going to Kabul University, going out to lunch and going out to different restaurants. We could go shopping down on Chicken Street um, by 2000, later, uh, 2013, my, my second tour, but since then the security situation worsened and troops were no longer allowed to move freely about Kabul. So it, everything sort of changed during that time. So I have some, my job was a photographer and I worked with the media. So it was my job to help the media tell the story accurately and get them to the places where they wanted to go and showcase what our troops were doing. So as we've seen over the last um, week with the situation, the exit strategy here, um, we knew it had to end. It's just disappointing that it had to end this way. And I've been watching along with the world and just um, heartbreaking to see the situation for Afghans there and fellow Americans who seem to be caught off guard or trapped or not able to get to the airport. So. Um, I hope that our military planners are working around the clock to figure out the best way to get Americans and those Afghans who qualify for departure uh, out safely. And this is not the same, this is not a similar situation to when Trump cut and run from the Kurds. This is a, uh, are you seeing any evidence that this is a, a serious effort that President Biden's really backing and wants to complete. Well, I don't know if it was a miscalculation of uh, very large proportions, but I think anyone who has been watching this somewhat closely knew that the Taliban were knocking on the door of Kabul. They have been uh, inching closer to Kabul for many, many months. And I think the negotiated settlement political agreement that um, occurred with President Trump was one that we could all live with. We knew that that was gonna be the outcome. Um, we knew that the Taliban were going to take back control of the governance, whatever that may be. But our main goal was to get out uh, American citizens as diplomats working at the embassy and Afghans who qualify under the special immigrant visa program. 
However, it doesn't appear that there was a program, enough airplanes, enough crowd control, enough of those forces to do that last lift. And so we're just uh, leaves us scratching our heads as to how, how do you plan to uh, get about 60 or 70,000 people out of the country with no aircraft, no aircraft, uh, aircraft uh, personnel, air traffic controllers, um, all the things that go into an evacuation or um, a heavy lift, a large movement of people, we didn't have any on the ground. And so if this was the response, it just seems that we could have held Bagram, let Bagram be the exit departure point, uh, which is a large air base about 30 miles north of Kabul. And that's where I was stationed on my last tour in 2018, a huge airfield, plenty of services, plenty of room, a large perimeter so that we could safely, it was about a seven or eight minute helicopter ride from the embassy. So we could have easily ferried people from the embassy to Bagram and to keep the Afghans uh, are the Taliban checkpoints um, far away from the, the HKIO, which is the um, airport, it's right in the middle of the city. So it was easy to mob and they just got overrun with people who may or may not qualify for SIV status and who may or may not be um, eligible for, for evacuation. So you've got thousands of people swarming and it's just making it a very difficult situation. But Military planners could have factored this into their planning as a course of option to, uh, to uh, keep Bagram open, and they didn't. And so we're we're still trying to figure out how who approved that and why. Right. Is just backtracking for one second. Um, the negotiations with the Taliban uh, that were done, what I believe, is two thousand five. Um, did you ever happen, did you, did, now I know you were a photographer, but, um, and not an a investigative reporter specifically, but did uh, you ever come across anyone from the Afghan government and get their position on those negotiations? Did they, did um, they just say, we'll, we'll accept whatever the Americans do? Or did they say, gee, maybe we should have been a part of that? Or Yeah, you know, I, I can't really talk to what the negotiations were through the years and through the decades, really. Um, and even to sort of under wraps as to what the negotiated agreement would be as of from last year or, you know, as of recent. But I think the, the consensus was, was that the Taliban were going to wait us out. Um, they were just going to wait until the U.S. got tired enough and felt that it was a, a, a good time to, um, to end our operations there and we knew what the outcome would be. I mean, we, we tried, uh, we gave it our all to give the government, the Afghan government, all the resources, all the coaching, mentoring, training, advising, assisting to stand up their own government, which they did for many years. Um, and so now we've seen images of um, former President Karzai meeting with, and. Abdullah, Abdullah, uh, meeting with Taliban members. And so I think that they are going to broker and negotiate a governance deal or some sort of working situation, shared power or, or something along those lines is what it looks like. And so without the US involvement, um, they, they might be able to come to their own agreement 
um, under these circumstances? Now, uh, ma'am, what I have observed through the media outlets and all the news that is coming in, that people are blaming the U.S. Uh, forces to for that hasty departure. But that was inevitable. Like one or the other day, they would have, you know, like left the Afghanistan soil as it is. But what is surprising is the troops, the Afghan troops didn't stand for their own people. Why is that? Like in spite of all the training for 20 years, they took all that training from the US military and still they didn't stand with the people. And the world is expecting US troops to stand at this juncture. So what are your views regarding that? Well, I, during my tours there, I was fortunate enough to see so many of the Afghan troops in training and actually operating, conducting partnered operations with U.S. troops. And they, while they may not have took the final stand in this instance, they, they fought for 20 years with the Americans and many of them died doing so. And so I think that we don't give them enough credit to say for the past 20 years, they have risked it all, been killed, to, um, and took serious casualties along the way and fought very bravely. So I've seen it firsthand. They, they have fought along the way. And so what I feel like without the Afghan, without the US forces there, they maybe didn't wanna fight um, their fellow uh, Afghan uh, that make up the Taliban government. So they were tired of fighting and felt that maybe a negotiated partnered agreement and a governance was a better way to go. So, but I guarantee you that there were Afghan troops who were very brave and fought alongside our US troops and who died along the way. Tens and thousands of them have died through the years. And so when you look at a 20 year context, as opposed to what just, just happened in the last 30 to 60 days with the Taliban creeping and inching closer to Kabul, um, that may have been the case, but through the years they have fought alongside um, US forces and other NATO forces as well um, and suffered heavy, heavy casualties. Not to take away from that, and that's very much, uh, that's, that's certainly to their credit and that they're, they've been putting in a long-term effort uh, along with the American forces and NATO forces, as you mentioned. Um, however, President Karzai does not have as strong a position to negotiate from right now. Um, and in fact, I guess it's really down to the folks who are, we're hearing about acts of resistance or small groups of resistance. Um, surely they're not gonna Count, they're not going to overthrow the Taliban at this point, um, but that there are some actions happening in the street, small things, uh, but they're happening in different places. Um, so perhaps that's something that would want to give, if, if there's some sort of tie to the government for those small groups, uh, then that would be, it, the, in other words, the leverage for the government would have been, would have been if there had been a strong resistance to the initial Taliban moving back in. Happening in the South is kind of understandable. There's, you know, they've always been very strong in the South, but in the North, I don't think anybody was, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody, well, I, did, did you hear of anything or did you hear of any sort of talk about how the North was not as well 
prepared or that there was that general feeling of we have we've had enough of this fight and we don't want to go back to uh, a struggle within a civil war well, what I've been seeing from the reporting, if you recall, um, in the, the Northern Alliance of the late 90s and early 2000s with um, Masood, his son is now, uh, it's like Ahmad Masood Jr., has taken up the stance of the Northern Alliance and is asking for support to resist the Taliban governance. So there is some movement out there. There's probably pockets of resistance around the around the country. And so what's interesting though, with um, former president Hamid Karzai is that he is in the mix, although he's not an elected official, he has no position with the former government, government but that um, Ghani fled. Leaving, leaving this open for anyone who wants to step in. And so under Hamid Karzai's leadership, former leadership, his influence and his, and his power that he still has, very strong influential power with Abdullah, Abdullah, that they could talk to the Taliban and figure out what, if any, um, what, what, what can they do, shared power or, or, some sort of settlement um, from what it looks like from open source reporting, my interpretation of that. I was shocked to see that president, former president, I mean, Karzai was back in the mix, but he has a large stake in this because he was president, I think for, I'm gonna say 12 years or so. So he, he was the first democratically elected president of Afghanistan has been there as a uh, staple of the country for the, a good portion of our involvement there since 9-11 um, and our, our, our combat operations. So remains to be seen what they'll come out with. But I think our main goal from the US, what it looks like is to just get the um, Americans who want to leave the country evacuated and this SIV, special immigrant visa, Afghans um, who want to leave the country out of the country. And that's our limited role at this point. I don't believe and that president's set to speak today, President Biden, about our limited authorities there since the negotiated authorities that we had to operate in the country were under the old Afghan government. Since there is no government or a new government coming in, those negotiated political or diplomatic authorities that we have to operate are now just limited to the Afghan, um, to the HKIA airport. No, no further um, authorities. And so these are things that are negotiated at the political level of what can we do? What are our authorities to operate within the city, the outskirts, air power, combat uh, operations? It, it very much limits our authorities to operate there. Right. Uh, with what I see is 9-11 uh, around the corner, the 20th anniversary, uh, was this very strategic of Taliban to take over Afghanistan during this, spe this specific time? And with all of the, the co-founder of Taliban being in place now and the ISI uh, chief being there and all these other wanted terrorists with like a big bounty on their head being at the same place at the same time right now trying to form a government. So how does this spell doom for the world? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, the timing is ominous, whether it's uh, our, the U.S.'s goal to 
wrap up our involvement by no later than August 31st or 9-11, but it does open some old wounds. It feels like the timing is just co coincidental or on purpose or um, uh, just a marker. It, it's just a, an anniversary year. It's a 20 years. So whether it's 20 years in two months or just shy of 20 years, but it, it is an ominous feeling. So a lot of people in the US will be reflective and going back to where they were on 9-11 and how they felt. Um, I think it's just by pure, pure coincidence, but I know that with uh, Taliban either taking governance fully, it remains to be seen if they're going to allow you know, ISIS or ISIS-K to operate Al-Qaeda within, within the country. So I know, and during my time in 2018, I know that we were tapering off our combat operations against the Taliban and our focus was on ISIS-K, uh, preventing ISIS from coming over the border and Pakistan infiltrating the country. And so some of our US forces were really focused on ISIS as opposed to Taliban. And we were almost, to the point of very closely partnering with the Taliban to keep ISIS out of the country. Um, and so we were, it was sort of a running joke that we were, how ironic would it be if we were supplying Taliban ammunition and supplies to keep ISIS at bay. So in Iraq, there's a saying, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, and so basically, if we have a common common enemy and that is ISIS, then the Taliban, we were partnering with them. But um, I didn't see that firsthand, but I do know that the Taliban at that time wasn't encouraging ISIS or Al-Qaeda to come into the country. And so we, we had a, a shared enemy in that sense. And so it remains to be seen if there's gonna be second and third order effects as far as global war on terror, if Afghanistan is going to become another uh, place for terror organizations to train, that remains to be seen. And I, I, I think that there's some value in talk, being allowed, being, being opportunities to talk with the Taliban or some diplomatic relationships with the Taliban to help them see the value in pushing back Al Qaeda and ISIS, and not allowing this to to happen under their government. But ma'am, I think the joke did come true with Taliban have uh, gaining access to all the weapons and the Humvees and all those gadgets like modern weaponry uh, left out by the Americans, uh, the American troops in Tal uh, Afghanistan. So that is going to be a big problem now. I don't know if it will lead to a bazaar or something, a regional arms deal or something like that. Like we never know. What are your views on that? Well, you know, like everyone else, I'm watching on TV wondering how, what was the strategy for that? And if some of it we were left, we left the Afghan army to use. Um, but in the Afghan army has abandoned their post or abandoned these resources and now they've fallen into the hands of the Taliban, it does leave people scratching their head wondering how, what's the, what's the implications of this? But indeed it is unfortunate to see Taliban uh, members with 
U.S. weapons, U.S. trucks driving around in the vehicles that we purchased for the Afghans. It's very disheartening to see. And so I think our government has some real uh, questions to answer to. And hopefully there'll be a very vigorous investigation as to who approved this plan, because it does uh, it does leave us wondering what was the strategy behind that. And I, I'm not a, I'm not in those discussions and I'm just watching along with everyone else, but having some skin in the game, as we say, and having been there and knowing many people that died there and changed our lives forever, we definitely want an explanation or something that can be seen as a strategy to make, make sense of it all for our leaders who don't have an we, we don't uh, envy their job to make these tough decisions, but we do want some sort of explanation as to how this, how this came about. With the uh, question of weapons, there is also a question of the Pakistanis, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians. There's multiple sources of right. support for the Taliban already. Uh, I believe there was even a news story the other day that the Russians were starting to diplomatically support the Taliban as the, the government of Afghanistan. Um, is there, so uh, that combined with the idea you mentioned of, of arming the Taliban, perhaps winding up arming the Taliban to, to, uh, to fight ISIS and Al-Qaeda, um, is there any parallel with the Mujahideen? Is there any lesson from history uh, that from when the Russians were there or the British or the German or the French or the Mongols or the Romans that would um, sort of help steer where we're going next? Well, I think that the, the China, Chinese um, have always had an interest in Afghanistan's resources, that I know. And the Chinese have, uh, Afghanistan is just rich in resources. And if they could just um, figure out a way to monetize it and uh, there's mining, there's agriculture, there's so many, so many ways that Afghanistan could capitalize on its own resources if they could just figure out um, the way to do that and less tribal, more governance. But I do think China is, they have a small, they share a small border up at the North in Badakhshan uh, province. And so there's been reports of Chinese training bases just over the border. Um, I, I, you know, it remains to be seen of who's gonna partner with who and who's going to create some new alliances. But I do think that the Taliban will probably likely need need key allies in the area and other countries, border countries will wanna figure out a way to position themselves to have some sort of dialogue, some sort of agreement, some kind of ties to whoever's in charge there. Because just like any country would, they want to have influence and have access and um, see how they can position themselves for other partnerships, whether it's mining or agriculture or shipping or products. If the Chinese can sell their products to Af Afghanistan, they will. Um, and looking, everyone's looking now for positioning and partnerships.
it appears. So remains to be seen who's going to take up those alliances and partnerships. Uh, but I know that the U.S. is focused on um, regrouping and getting you know Americans out of out of the country and um, sort of putting a, a closure to the many chapters that we have in, with Afghanistan. Right. So, ma'am, on a parting note, uh, what are your views on the current situation and how uh, soon are we going to get out of it? Is there is a way to come out of the current situation, especially the refugee crisis, uh, which has increased uh, over the past few weeks that we are seeing it's unfolding? So how is it, how can we curb it? Or is there any solution? Or will it lead to some kind of distress or discord among the nations what is the situation well now these are just my perspectives um no one's asking me other than you know no one from the u.s government but my perspective is is that i hope that we can find a way to exit safely and that no americans get hurt or nato allies uh, that are there trying to work with the afghan people and for the record we are never at war with the afghan people each uh, U.S. military member and U.S. American diplomat, non-government organization that worked there. We all know that we've made an impact, whether it's just one-on-one -on -one or a group, that our individual contributions made major impacts on the Afghan uh, culture, lifestyle, improve the conditions, whether it's building a well, building a school, providing medical training to Afghan doctors that they can improve their medical care to the people, which will have a lasting impact. Those impacts and, and strides, you can't roll those back. So as much as the Taliban might wanna come in and roll back some of these progress points and, and, and um, major increases in quality of life, you just can't roll those back. So I think that going forward and now with the internet and social media and Taliban uh, will have to will be force them to um, rethink their strategy. And if they think they can roll it back, they won't. I know there's brave Afghans out there who are willing to fight and die for uh, pro this progress. And we've seen some of that. So hopefully that there can be a sort of a peaceful um, uprising and that the Taliban will have to make some concessions if, if they want to uh, be in position. Otherwise they will um, struggle, I think, and it, it'll either turn into a civil war or, um, you know, another country will have to come in and, and make peace there. But I think we've made too many strides to roll it all back now with women working, journalists, social media. I think that the world is now open to them and people can see firsthand cell phone video, things that are going on there. And now the world has a view on what's going on in Afghanistan. So it is my hope personally, that the, all those strides that we made one-on-one, -on -one, one handshake at a time, one, one mentoring session at a time or progress that was made, um, teaching kids how to read or 
um, business development can go forward. All the investors and um, private sector folks that have made such great strides in the media industry and academia, that that continues to grow. Uh, but I'll be watching very carefully because I have a vested interest with all my time there and fellow fellow service members that gave gave it all there. We want nothing but the best, and hopefully we can uh, look fast forward in a couple years and um, with all sincerity, hope that the government there um, allows progress to be made and that this cannot be under under the blanket anymore, so to speak, or under wraps is all exposed. And hopefully um, we can just let the dust settle and, and continue the good work there, whether it's through a nonprofit or a non-government agency or some other um, diplomatic, um, diplomatic ties. Right. So Matt, could you just give us a closing thought, closing comment? A closing comment would be with the challenges that were faced by the Americans in Afghanistan, ending the quagmire seems to be uh, a way to advance what is happening there. It certainly is complex. It certainly is going to be complex. There's nothing, there's no simple solution, but there's been a lot of work put in, and it looks like that's going to be able to be held uh, in place. And now we're going to have to do that from working internationally, working not specifically with NATO partners in, in Afghanistan, but from without. And we'll have to see where that leads. And also, how can the other people be held accountable for the parts they've taken in some of the actions that have happened recently as well? Right. Thank you so much, ma'am, for being on Dhruva News podcast. And thank you, Matt, for co-hosting it with me. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. And have a good day and good evening. Thank you so much. You as well. Good discussion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.